Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips. The Astrea Conspiracy by Lisbeth Myers, read by Neve McIntosh. Of all the extraordinary people Afra Ben met in her life, there was none more inexplicable to her than the irascible Scotsman who possessed all the tact of a blacksmith's hammer. Afra didn't think of him often, but when she did it riled up a knot of frustration within her that she hadn't shaken more answers from him when she'd had the chance. She wasn't sure why she thought of him that particular evening. Perhaps it was the new silver-haired actor the theatre company had just hired. Perhaps it was the cranky Scottish fellow who'd pelted straight into her at the theatre doors. But as she stood in the wings, waiting for the curtain to go up, she remembered. A little over ten years ago, with London racked by plague and a great fire, Afra had been grateful for any reason to leave the city, and King Charles himself had charged her with her clandestine mission. On the choppy sea crossing to the continent, Afra amused herself with imaginings of secret handshakes and midnight rendezvous with mysterious and dashing agents of foreign powers. The truth, she knew, was more banal. She had been called upon as a spy because William Scott, a former love of hers, had taken up with a group of exiled Englishmen in the Netherlands. These Englishmen still flirted half-heartedly with the idea of overthrowing the British crown and doing to Charles what they had done to his poor father. Now, with the English at war with the Dutch, the nest of vipers had been stirred up once more. Afra was dispatched to Antwerp to make contact with the conspirators and to see what it would take to turn Will into an agent for the English side. Money, muttered Afra. Always money. She was sitting in the common room of a modestly priced but perfectly respectable inn, staring down at her scribbled notes. Occasionally she pretended to write. Out of the corner of her eye she could see the innkeeper watching her. He was, unfortunately, a decent man who had been patient with Afra's late payments for room and board. And now every time she avoided him or made excuses, she was weighed down by guilt. Unable to bear it any longer, she looked over to him with a bright smile painted on her face. The innkeeper coughed awkwardly as he approached, his apologetic look making Afra's insides twist up. Mistress Estrella, he said, I'm terribly sorry to bother you. I know, I know, the money. I apologise again, I still have some jewellery left. I give you my word, I'll have it sold by the end of the week and you'll have what I owe. The innkeeper looked to the floor, embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear of your misfortunes, madam. The end of the week will be quite acceptable. He shuffled off, and after put her head in her hands, doing her very best not to think ill of her king. This was entirely his fault. Payments had been promised, and none had come. Until they did, she was poppering herself in this wretchedly expensive country. And her innkeeper didn't even have the decency to be the sort of ogre she wouldn't mind running out on, bills unpaid. He's not coming. Knee-deep in thought, Afra hadn't noticed the gentleman come into the inn, but she certainly noticed him when he dropped into the seat opposite her without invitation. She looked him up and down, a lean, tall man with peculiar clothes and silver hair. I don't believe we're acquainted, sir. She said icily. He blinked, as though he'd forgotten something. 
You're after Ben, aren't you? He leaned forward, staring at her as though she were an oil painting in need of cleaning. I am mistress, Ben, sir, and... She closed her eyes for a moment, cursing her lack of discretion. Astrea, she said through gritted teeth. I would be most grateful if you would address me as Astrea. He frowned. It was quite an impressive frown. Something about the eyebrows gave it an extra dimension of presence. You're not Afra Ben? Afra considered calling the innkeeper over, but the stranger was so careless with her name she didn't feel it was worth the risk. She took a deep breath. Would you care to tell me your name, sir? I'm the doctor. She raised an eyebrow. You certainly seem to be in need of one. Well then, since you know who I am, I suppose you want something. What is it? And I warn you, if it's money, you're going to be sorely disappointed. What I wanted was to see a play, the doctor said, settling back in his chair as though he was about to regale her with a witty anecdote. Except there was a tiny... Temporal anomaly, and things started to get a little out of joint. The lead actor was stuck, repeating the same soliloquy. The audience froze mid-applause. The lines twisted one way, then another, then disappeared altogether. I mean, I'm not against a few tricks with time, a few flourishes to spice up a play, but this was the 19th century. And then I find out it's not just the theatre, it's the whole history of English literature that's all falling apart. Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, Charlotte Bronte, all busy spending their lives not being writers. All those works vanishing from the timeline. The effect gathering momentum, growing as it rolls on and on through the decades. Wiping away plays and novels and poetry and it started here, 1666 Antwerp, with you. I see, said Afra looking towards the doors and trying to work out if she could make a bolt for it before the stranger could react. She had very little experience with lunatics. He dropped his voice to a whisper. And you know the worst of it? It's me. I did it. Effect preceding cause. I've created a nasty little paradox by turning up here after I was there, and now I've got to fix it. So, as I said, he's not coming. Who? said Afra innocently. William Scott. Th there was an accident. He's dead? she asked quietly. No, not yet anyway. Life expectancy of the century's pretty poor. He's run away to Atlantis or the Americas or somewhere starting with an E. Australia, maybe. Alpha narrowed her eyes. Why did he run away? Well... I didn't get the Astrea memo until a few minutes ago, so I may have mentioned your name to him, asked where you were, and said something about spying, which makes some people a little bit jumpy, especially if they're spies. Yes, that would certainly have done it, she said. Still, it doesn't matter. He's given me the introductions I needed. I'm sure I can play the part of a traitorous English subject as well as he ever could. Now, sir. If you'd be good enough to explain who you are and how you know so much about my business, I'd be much obliged. I told you. I'm the doctor. I'm... Something shifted in his expression. I suppose I sound a bit... Mad? She suggested. Yeah, well, I burnt that bridge a long time ago, he sighed. 
and for a moment looked sufficiently bereft, she almost felt sorry for him. I usually have someone to help out with this, the fiddly bit, the introductions and the explanations. His eyes brightened and he straightened up, suddenly confident. Actually, forget I said that, Af Astrea. I'm here to help. I was sent by the Scottish Parliament. Got to do our part too. It's not just England at stake here. Charles is our anointed king and we don't want another Cromwell. No, she said, quite aware of Cromwell's excessive cruelties in Scotland and his monstrousness in Ireland. I don't suppose you do. Alas, Doctor, I have no need of your help and no desire for it. I'm quite capable of doing my work without Mr Scott and without you. There was a noise from the street outside, a clattering of heavy footfalls and rough voices. A moment later, the door burst open and Dutch soldiers poured into the room. One pointed at the doctor. There's a scoundrel! Arrest him! After I leapt to her feet, ready to make her excuses and denounce her strange companion, when the officer added, And he's a complice! May I make a suggestion, murmured the doctor. Please do, said Afra. Run! After I lifted her skirts and dashed towards the kitchens, she glanced back to see the doctor scoop up her writing papers from the table before he rushed after her. The soldiers' numbers worked against them as they all tried to race towards him at once. As they jostled and fought with one another, the doctor leapt nimbly across the room and slammed the kitchen door in their faces. He grabbed a chair to jam the handle. Oh, wonderful, snapped Afra. What did you do to upset them? Your skittish friend made some accusations to the dock guards before he jumped on a ship said the doctor, opening the outer door and peeking outside. Luckily, this lot seemed to be very bright. No one snuck around the back. The kitchen door rattled behind them as they hurried out into the street. With as much speed as she could muster, Afra made off into the cool night. As she hurried down the sparsely lit streets of Antwerp, she made a mental inventory of the jewellery she had about her person. She had a rope of pearls around her neck of sufficient length to be fashionable. Her shoe buckles were elaborate enough to be of some value, and her brooch, pinned away out of sight and resplendent with cut emeralds, was perhaps worth enough to get her back to England with her dignity intact. Or she could survive a little longer in Antwerp and hope that the money Charles had promised would reach her. I might have given you the wrong first impression. Oh, wonderful. The insufferable Dr. Fellow had followed her. She stopped to turn and glare at him. That you're an interfering, cantankerous annoyance, she said. I might not have given you the wrong first impression, but I am here to help. Then I should hate to see what happens when you're trying to hinder, said Afra, looking behind him to see if the soldiers were following the street was empty. So, where to? he asked. She gave him the sort of skull she usually reserved for a pawnbroker trying to fleece her. Where to? That is none of your business, Doctor. You've made me a pauper. Everything I owned was back at that inn. It wasn't very much, I confess. But it gave me a roof over my head. Now the Dutch will take everything. You have these, said the Doctor holding out her writing papers. Afra glared down at them. Worth of scribblings! She took a deep breath, collecting herself. Good evening, sir.
she turned on her heel and marched off down the street, listening for any sign of the soldiers. She wasn't entirely sure what she'd do if she heard them, but she'd some notion of throwing herself over their wall and hiding in the garden on the other side. Look, I know there's a meeting of the Down with Charles gang tonight, said the doctor, his long strides easily keeping pace with her. Is there really? It'd save me a lot of time if you'd tell me where it is, she smiled. Ah, there are limits to your knowledge after all. Come on. What'd you say? Do your old pal the doctor a favour, eh? Absolutely not. If you insist on following me, I shall not be going anywhere near the place, I promise you. The doctor sighed and stepped back. All right. But just so you know, when I get back to the theatre, I will be clapping very quietly indeed. And with that he walked off. After watched as he vanished into the night shadows without so much as a backwards glance. She shivered as she looked around and realised she was all alone. Thoughts of a welcoming in, a hot meal and a soft bed wheedled their way into her mind. <sighs> she could have one more night in this blasted country, then sail back to England, find herself another husband, one with a touch more sense this time. She sighed. Such thoughts were futile. She'd been given a task by her king and she would see it through no matter the consequences. She took a moment to get her bearings, then headed off down a narrow winding street, by her reckoning the quickest route to the townhouse the traitors used as their meeting place. There you are! Sorry I took so long, but <clears throat> all set now. Afra clapped a hand over her mouth to stop herself crying out. That doctor had leapt out in front of her as though he planned to rob her. He had also acquired a lantern of his own and his shirt was now a crisp white and the jacket a rather fetching burgundy. Afra looked at him. Then she looked back up the street. It had only been a minute or so since she'd seen him walk back the other way. There aren't two of you, are there? She said. He shuddered. Usually not. Afra glared at him. You've changed clothes, and you're looking far too pleased with yourself. Did you steal that lantern? He gave her the sort of look that suggested he had. I also know where the very secret meeting's taking place, he said. Got a chance to make a contact of my own since we last spoke. Nice chat most days. Writes poetry. Probably a bit too keen on impaling his enemies, though. Anyway, they're expecting me too now. Afra could feel a headache coming on. I'm an educated woman, Doctor, so I refuse to believe you are some manner of warlock. But I do believe you're a childish show-off. I don't like show-offs, and if I did like show-offs, I wouldn't like you. So you're not impressed? She rolled her eyes. Absolutely not. But I don't much like wandering around the streets in the dark, if you truly know where I'm heading. You may lead the way. Acting as my torchbearer is the least you can do after the trouble you've caused. Afra was unsurprised to see the doctor knew exactly where she'd been going. He'd a sort of smugness about him as he walked a little ahead of her. He must have known where the meeting was all along. But then why pretend he didn't? She couldn't fathom what benefit it gave him. The meeting place was a modest townhouse in a respectable district of the city the sort of place where the luckier English exiles lived, having managed to escape the country with their fortunes. 
So, how are you planning to break up this conspiracy? The doctor asked as they approached. What subtle, sneaky, nefarious, anti-conspiracy strategy have you come up with to save the day? Afra glared up at the looming house. Ideally, I'd blow them all up, she said with more venom than she'd intended. But the thought of their murderous aims always roused her anger. Okay, that's one option. But messy? Less ideally? Less ideally, Doctor. I shall keep in their confidence and learn all I can. They do little but boast and complain as yet, but they're in contact with Dutch officials. Perhaps I might even learn something useful for the war effort. Right. Good plan. Let's go with that. With that, the doctor marched right up to the front door as if he hadn't a care in the world and knocked. The sitting room of the townhouse was large and airy, but Afra still felt stifled, surrounded by a half-dozen Englishmen with treason on their minds. A rapier hung at each of their belts. It was the fashion of gentlemen, but she assumed that they could all tell the difference between the hilt and the sharp, pointy bit of their swords. The fellow with the most well-embellished sword called himself Edmund Phillips. He had a short, pointed beard that gave him a threatening look in the flickering light of the tallow candles. I didn't realise you two were acquainted, he said, looking from Afra to the doctor. To Afra's annoyance, one of the conspirators had greeted the doctor warmly, and none had objected to his presence. We aren't, said Afra. An unhappy coincidence meant we arrived at the same time. I see. Well, it's disappointing to hear about Scott, but better we find out he's a coward now rather than later. It was brave of you to come anyway, Mistress Estrella. Scott spoke well of you, and of your hatred of the Stuarts, but he didn't tell us why you thought so ill of them. You think because I am a woman I have no political opinions? Philip shrugged. Do you? Afra looked round the room, judging the sort of men she faced. I am here due to a matter of the heart. I was, for some months, beloved by the king. He made many promises, said many things that I once believed to be true. Then he met the harlot Nell Gwynne and forgot me altogether. I would see them both dead. She noted the nods from some of the men, the knowing smiles of others. I have contacts within the court and intimate knowledge of its current workings that would be invaluable to any attempt to restore the Commonwealth. All I ask for is a chance at revenge. Phillips nodded. If it is as you say, I'll see you have it, Mistress Estrella. From just behind her, the doctor gave a polite cough. <coughs> um, I've got um, one or two little details to add to that. Just a few pertinent points that you might find enlightening. Indeed, said Phillips. Mistress Estrella over there left out the fact that she's an English spy. Call me overcautious, but that's the sort of thing I'd like to know about if I were involved in a conspiracy against the English crown. Could all get a little heads on pikes otherwise? Poor old Will Scott made a run for it while he could, after he realised that being a double agent in the midst of a war might not be the best recipe for long-term survival. Lies! Arthur turned on him ready to claw his eyes out, but one of the conspirators held her back. You vile, poisonous serpent! 
The doctor ignored her and went on. This doesn't seem like the least competent conspiracy I've ever stumbled into. So I'm sure a little investigation on your part will show I'm telling the truth. Get some rope. Tie her up, said Phillips. How can you believe this base rogue? He's a stranger to you, said Afra as a red-haired conspirator left the room. He's known to me, one of them said, and he's given better account of himself than you. The red-haired man returned, carrying a short length of rope. Quickly, the doctor took it from him, and though she struggled, the doctor had no trouble in tying Afra's hands securely behind her back. Take her upstairs, said Phillips. We'll decide what to do with her once we've finished discussing more sensitive matters. Don't worry, Mistress Estrella. You'll have your chance to defend yourself. We believe in justice here, not summary executions. Wait! Wait! There are things you don't know about this doctor. He's made such outrageous accusations against me so that I am silenced before I denounce him. Uh, said Phillips, raising an eyebrow. She took a deep breath and the words spilled out of her. He's come from the Scottish Parliament to sabotage any plans we might make to overthrow the Stuarts. He was the one who frightened William into fleeing, and there are Dutch soldiers on the streets at this very moment searching for him. Surely you don't believe that, said the doctor, summoning up a convincing amount of incredulity. Do, uh, do I look like a cavalier? I haven't even got one of those floppy hats. But Phillips was clearly near the end of his patience. He looked from one to the other, his expression darkening. Both of you are new to this group, and neither of you strike me as wholly honest in what you say. Tie him up too and take them both upstairs. Did they hurt you? asked Afra. She'd been deposited gently into her chair in an oak-panelled bedroom. They dragged the doctor in with less restraint. Another chair had been shoved up against the back of hers, and he'd been heaved into it with all the consideration one would show to a sack of potatoes. More rope had been wrapped securely round them both, tying them to the chairs and each other. Yes, he said, wriggling around in a way that made the chairs jerk to and fro, but didn't seem to be doing anything to actually loosen the ropes. Good. Now how are we getting out of this, he said. We? You'd rather I left you... Here? He punctuated each word with an attempt to wrench himself free. You betray me and then you want to help me escape. Your behaviour is as maddening as it is incomprehensible. The throbbing at her temples worsened. Why hadn't she made for the docks when she'd had a chance? There must be one vaguely respectable inn down there. She could have been asleep in bed, dreaming of the ship she'd take back to England in the morning. We probably want to be on our way before they finish their meeting, the doctor said, still trying to wriggle out of the ropes. They seemed rather upset. I'm sure you'll think of something. I imagine this is the sort of situation a scoundrel like you has found himself in countless times before. Not to be immodest, but yeah, I have. I'm quite the expert on being tied up. Ropes, manacles, handcuffs, vines, wires, nets. I get the idea, she said. Wooden stocks, electrocuffs, papier-mâché. Doctor! Enough, please. 
How do we get out of these ropes? I am so glad you asked. He shifted slightly in the chair and she could practically hear the self-satisfied grin on his face. I already have. Well, you already have, thanks to me. You're very welcome, by the way. See, if you can find the loose end of one of those knots, give it a tug and the entire thing will come undone. Afra shifted around, trying to find the right angle for her fingers to snag the end of the rope. When she had it, she managed to grip it between her nails and apply enough pressure to pull. To her surprise, it came away just as the doctor had said it would. Her hands were free. She yanked away the rope wrapped around her middle and moved stealthily to the door where she pressed an ear against the wooden panelling. Beyond, she could hear the dull drone of voices arguing downstairs. Gently, she tried to open the door, but it was locked. She turned back to the doctor, who'd stood up rather gingerly, but his hands were still firmly tied behind him. Well, aren't you clever, she said, in an irritating sort of way. I do try. He shuffled a little closer. Would you mind untying me? My hands are starting to feel funny. Certainly. After you explain yourself, why betray me, then help me? I told you I'm here to help. Just... Not with the whole spying thing. The spying thing, Doctor, is the only thing I care about. These men are plotting to kill my king. The Dutch are plotting to invade my country. The information I might have gathered could have been vital to stopping them both. Possibly, he said. That's all you've got to say. Afra, there are things more important than this war, and one of those things is why I'm here. There's nothing more important than protecting my king and country. Not to me. Look, said the doctor, would it make you feel any better to know that if I hadn't turned up, it'd have been William Scott who betrayed you to the Dutch? She stared at him for a long moment. And he had the sense not to say anything more. If I were a better person, she said, I'd leave you here for whatever unpleasant fate they decide upon. She motioned for him to turn around. As it is, traitor that you are, we will make our escape together. Once he was free from his bonds, the doctor made a quick examination of the bedroom before stopping by the window. He looked down into the dark garden below, then jiggled at the window catch. It swung open easily, though it would be a tight squeeze to get out. Afra stared at him in disbelief. Have you no sense of propriety, doctor? Not much. It usually makes things more difficult, and most of the things I do already tend towards the impossible. He had a foot up on the ledge. Afra grabbed him by the elbow before he could climb any further. I am not escaping by falling out of a window. I'd suggest more of a climb. Look, there's a vine. Hold on to that. It might not break. I will ruin my dress. And thanks to you, this is the only dress I have left, she said. I suppose you've got a better plan. Actually, yes. She knelt down by the locked door and peeked through the keyhole. My writing paper, give it to me, please. He did as she asked, and she took a couple of pages and slid them through the narrow gap beneath the door, below where the lock was located. She took a long silver pin from her hair, inserted it in the lock, and jiggled it around. After a moment, there was a clang on the other side, 
She pulled the paper back under the door, and on top of it was sitting the key. After scooped it up with a satisfied grin and glanced at the doctor. Yes, yes, he said, very impressive. Round of applause. Lucky they left the key in. I'm sure if they hadn't, you'd be capable of picking the lock, she said, unlocking the door. It swung in easily, without a squeak or a creak. They paused at the top of the stairs, listening. The argument continued below, now sounding rather more energetic. Afra looked back at the doctor, trying to see behind his expression, behind his eyes. Any more games, doctor? Do you intend to give me away again? What? No! Could you get a move on? Before they have the, the sense to send someone up to check on us. Even 17th century poltroons know to check on the prisoners occasionally. Afra nodded and carefully descended the stairs. She held her breath on every step, fearful that at any moment the door to the sitting room would open. Nearing the bottom, she missed her footing in the dark, but the doctor grabbed her arm before she could fall. He held her for a moment as she found her balance. At the foot of the stairs, she hesitated between the front door or trying a more furtive escape through the back of the house. The doctor wasted no time in heading straight for the front door. It wasn't locked. Afra bit down on her lips, stealing herself, and quickly followed him past the sitting room door and outside to freedom. I'm curious, said the doctor. I'm curious a lot, but at the moment it's one thing in particular. What thing? It was odd walking with him now. Afra certainly didn't trust him. She wasn't even sure if she liked him, but he'd become somewhat less irritating to her. You never were Charles's mistress, were you? He said. It was an impertinent question, but she didn't mind as much as she felt she should. I was not. And Nell Gwynne happens to be one of my dearest friends. Then why that particular lie? She smiled. Because men are so often too quick to believe that women hate one another, especially when it comes to matters of love. Oh! To her amusement, he sounded confused. We are, I hope, to part ways now, she said. He nodded. Sorry I messed up your spying mission. No, you're not. You're not sorry in the least. Though I fail to understand why. I told you already I was helping. You're a terrible spy, Afra. Impatient, irritable, indiscreet. She glared at him, but he didn't seem to notice. Yes, those certainly are my flaws. Sooner or later, he said, something unfortunate was bound to happen. I'm fairly sure it just did, Afra sighed. You realise that once I return to England, I'll have to rely on credit to survive. Thanks to you, I'll end my days in a debtor's prison. She waited for some sign of contrition, but her words didn't elicit a trace of guilt in his expression. These are yours! He took her writing papers from his jacket. You went to some trouble to keep hold of them, she said. Yeah, so I did. You should too. She took the papers and rolled them up carefully before sliding them into the sleeve of her dress. You didn't read any of it, did you? He smiled. I wouldn't dare. Not yet.
Afra had been right about the debtor's prison. Though at least she hadn't been there long, but it was still more than long enough. Charles, stingy though he was, at least had the decency to pay off her creditors and get her out. And then she'd had to make her own way in the world. The prospect of a new husband had grown stale for her, and that left her to be the architect of her own fortune. She turned to writing, to plays, to the vague ideas she'd first scribbled down in an inn in Antwerp. She knew of no other woman who'd earned her living through her writing. But she did enjoy a challenge. Full house, said Nell, peeking around the curtain while Afra stood in the wings. And, if I'm not mistaken, the Duke of York's in too very nice. You talking me out of retirement is looking better and better. I thought you agreed because you liked the play, said Afra. Nell shrugged in that charming way of hers. Oh, sure. But what's a pretty line when there's no one there to hear you say it? Take a look, Afra. They're not just here to see me, you know. Mistress Ben's a name that gets them in now, too. Afra followed Nell's suggestion and looked out at the tightly packed crowd. Her breath caught in her throat as her eyes fell on one member of the audience who looked right back at her. His piercing eyes and silver hair were just as she remembered. He was even wearing the same sort of odd clothes. He raised a hand and smiled. It was a different sort of smile than she'd seen from him before. This one lit up his whole face, making him look younger. And then he turned away, heading for the theatre doors. I'll be right back, said Afra, before jumping down from the stage. As quickly as she could, she made her way through the crowd, trying to keep sight of the doctor. She burst out onto the street and looked around. Doctor! But she couldn't see him amongst the people milling around outside. Are you well, ma'am? asked one lass. Quite well, said Afra. She spun round on her heel, searching. The street was well lit, and she'd been only a few seconds behind him. He couldn't have just vanished. Did you see a tall, grey-haired man come out just before me? The lass shook her head. Still showing off with childish tricks, Afra called out, ignoring the stares she was getting. I don't mind a bad review, but I do take it as an insult when a man leaves before the play even starts. Afra! She turned to see Nell standing in the open doors, hands on her hips. What do you think you were doing? Afra shot an accusing look out at the night sky, then turned to her friend. I thought I saw someone in the audience, someone I knew. I wanted to speak to him. I'm sure you can, said Nell. After the show. Afra shook her head. No, I don't think so. Not him. Why say a simple hello when you can be infuriatingly enigmatic? Strange man. Very strange, Afra agreed as they walked back into the theatre. But it was my muse once, in an odd sort of way. <laughs>